0: Alright, alright. After a two week break, we are finally back. So, welcome to Draw Pass Podcast. 14th episode now underway, and I'm really, really sorry for not uploading last week. I had my summer holiday last week and I was busy the whole time since I'd planned lots of stuff for that time frame. But now we are back in action and I will get back to my normal weekly school rhythm. So that will allow me to upload on regular basis. So hopefully no long breaks in the near future. This week I decided to come out with a bang and upload a big episode because of my previous weeks inactivity. And we are going to take another look in the past and go over the NHL 2020-2021 season. And look at the players who had down years as well as who made bigger impacts than most expected. I would like to hear your feedback on what you think of these kind of episodes where we look back in time since currently it is the most boring time to be a sports fan because not much is happening in North American sports and teams are getting ready for their training camps. Only exception being the European football seasons which started a few weeks back, but the actual transfer window is still open for a few more days. I want to touch upon teams as they start to finalize their rosters closer to the seasons, just so that I will get a good look at each individual roster and which players might still be on the cusp of moving elsewhere. But nevertheless, leave your feedback so that I get sense of is this type of content you would like to see in the future as well. Or if you have any other suggestions, leave them in my DMs as well, because it could be interesting to take one of your suggested topics and make an episode out of it, just so that I could get you guys also involved in the making of this particular show. But yeah, that could be something we could look at in the future, so if you feel so, leave something into my inbox and we'll discuss it later but with that said I think it's good time to start the actual episode so without further ado let's get going all right let's get this thing rolling so if you missed it I don't know how, but anyway, we will go through each team in an alphabetical order and look at the most disappointing as well as surprising players of this season. And if there isn't any disappointments or surprises, I'll address it when we get there. And keep in mind that these are my personal opinions with a spice of some analytics and statistics from various different sources, but you may disagree with my picks and that is indeed allowed. First up to plate is the Anaheim Ducks, who had pretty bad season last year, which was expected. And they were rewarded with the third overall pick in the entry draft. When it comes to individual performances, there weren't many to celebrate, but one name comes to mind when looking at his effect on the team. That player is Trevor Zegras. He had 13 points in 24 games in the show and if you know his skill set and talent level, you can expect a lot more in the next coming years. He started the season in the minors where he put a whopping 21 points in 17 games and was quickly called up to the majors. He's one of the most highly anticipated prospects in the NHL and the Ducks found a gem with their 9th overall pick in 2019. He will be their offensive maestro for years to come and this year only showed why they have such high expectations for the kid. Another player who I could throw in the mix would be Maxime Comtois, who was their leading scorer this season with 33 points in 55 games. I've always liked Comtois all the way from his junior days in the queue because of his rugged playstyle and boss to walls mentality. He has a knack for goal scoring and good offensive awareness overall, and with that in mind, I'll say that I could see him as their next captain at some point in the future. The six foot two frame allows him to play the way he does, and for certain he will be their two-way threat in their top six next year as well. But when it comes to disappointments, I will throw in two names: Josh Manson and Kevin Shattenkirk. Both defensemen had disappointing seasons in point-total department and although Manson isn't known for his offensive prowess, his numbers have been declining from years past while he has been quite steady in his own zone. Sheddenkirk, on the other hand, saw his point-totals drop from 34 in the previous season to 15 this year and while many didn't probably expect the same numbers in Anaheim that he posted in Tampa Bay, 15 points for offensive defensemen is just woeful. The Ducks really couldn't put the puck back in the net last year, but he has been cruising around 40 points his whole career. So does this mean that he's at the end part of his career or was this just an end result for the team's lack of goal scoring? For Arizona, it was real easy to pick out the most improved player Rather than the surprising since we've been waiting for Jacob Jekren's breakthrough since getting drafted in 2016. He doubled his output this year and was by far their best player this season without a doubt. I'm really hoping that he can keep this level even if and when the team itself struggles especially next season. But if he can they have a number one defenseman in their hands for years to come. He is a very effective two-way d who finally found his offensive output and ripped his previous goal record to shreds with 18 tucks this year. The Yotes have other promising d in their pipeline so their blue line could be quickly fixed in only few seasons. Other candidates were Phil Hotdog Kessel who led the Coyotes in scoring and Michael Bunning who recorded 13 points in the last 21 regular season games for the Yotes. Kessel had himself a nice bounce back season last year and in 56 games he notched 20 goals and 23 assists and was a reliable force in their offense alongside Connor Garland who was shipped out to Vancouver. Which leads me straight to the biggest disappointment and lucky for them that guy was dealt to Vancouver alongside Garland, their former captain Oliver Ekman Larsson. While his offensive numbers give you the feeling that he wasn't that bad, just check his analytics. He was. 24 points in 46 games is decent, I won't deny that, but the overall game compared to his gap head is far from favorable. Defensive deficiencies are noticeable in his game, and overall it was a good move to get his contract off their books since... Six more years of that would have been painful to pay for his contribution. But since OEL is in Vancouver now, I think I need to throw another name in here as well. So while he wasn't awful by any means, there is some concern to his game. And that player is Clayton Keller. Even though this year was shorter than usual, his point production has been dropping each year after his rookie season when he notched 65 points in 82 games. The thing is that they've had somewhat competitive teams the last three years, but still his production has been dropping or more so stagnated. So if the team struggles next year and he doesn't have competitive linemates, does he take even bigger step back? That is the question for the next few years, since if they want to become competitive, they need Keller to step up his game and become more prolific top line option for them. And then we head to Boston, who had a decent season until they faced the Islanders in the playoffs. They probably will be very competitive again next season, but their success might depend on their goaltending with or without Tuukka Rask. But when it comes to their surprises, I would nominate their two acquisitions, Taylor Hall and Mike Riley, for that title. But since their young netminder Jeremy Swayman took the crease by storm, I have to give that title to him. Hall really excelled in Boston and Riley had bigger impact on their Blue Line than was expected, but Swayman's performance in regular season really sparked hope in their fan base because now they might have a successor for Tuukka Rask in their hands. Both Hall and Riley were signed to extensions this offseason and will carry heavy loads next season in their respective roles. Hall recorded 14 points in 16 regular season games, but his production dropped in the playoffs, which was disappointing for many Beans fans. Riley had 8 assists in 15 games in regular season and added another 4 in 11 playoff games, while Swayman was very strong in 10 starts in the regular season, recording 0.945 save percentage and 1.50 goals against average. Their biggest disappointment, though, was their former first round draft pick, Jake Draprask, who fell off the face of the earth when it comes to his point production, just 14 points in 41 games. His injury history, in addition to his offensive struggles, has been a concern for the Beast leadership as well as fan base, and I wouldn't be surprised if he got traded by the start of the season. I also have to mention Charlie Coyle at this point since 16 points in 51 games is woeful when you look at what the Bruins pay for his services. He had a good year last season in Boston, but this year he was nowhere to be seen. He could probably replace David Krejci on their second line, but for that to happen, he has to get back to 40-point pace without a question. Overall, the regulars were as good as expected. But the concern is the loss of David Krejci and the bees have to find a way to replace him in the roster if they want to compete for the cup next year. But next we have Buffalo and simply put, their whole organization is a total disappointment. I'm just kidding. This time we won't bury the Sabres. I promise you that even how much you would love it, we won't. Casey Middlestad, there's a positive. No, but for real, after Granado took the bench, he increased his production tremendously. Just last year, he played 36 games for Rochester in the Always Hungry League and put up 9 points in 31 games in the NHL. This year, though, he notched 22 points in 41 games and showed actually pretty promising signs during the year. I had big hopes for him before he was drafted to the trash bucket but since he wasn't able to find a stable spot in their lineup during the first few years, I almost gave up on him. But now that he seemingly has found his foothold, he could blossom if he finds chemistry with Dylan Cousins for example. So mild expectations and huge hopes for his success. Also, I have to give credit to Artur Rootslainen who made his way into their lineup at the end of the year and tallied it 6 points in 17 games. In which five were goals, not a big deal. He was point per game in the AHL and was very good at the world championships. Which makes me believe that with this roster he should find a spot in their top nine without much resistance. But after that joyful moment we come back to earth. And there weren't many other positive surprises on their lineup and rather more disappointing performances. But the biggest disappointment has to be Taylor Hall's appearance in Buffalo, even though he is on another organization at this point. Before the season he was expected to make an impact alongside Jack Eichel, but that certainly didn't happen since 18 points in 37 games isn't worth $8 million, I think. Well, now he's in Boston and that excursion went way better for some reason. Not Buffalo related, certainly. But other than that, there weren't huge disappointments since at least I didn't expect much from any other skaters this year. And while Darlene, for example, hasn't reached the levels he was expected, I'm not too concerned at this point, even though he surely isn't in a player-friendly environment. I could blame the organization, but I won't, and luckily Owen Power decided to go back to college for the next season, so at least they won't ruin his career yet. Next up, Calgary, who had a disappointing season to start things off. Some might say that Andrew Mangiapane was the biggest surprise on the roster, but it didn't come as a surprise to me. He was poised to have a breakout year after a very strong 2019-2020 season and was a menace in the world championships with gold medal winning team Canada. I love his playstyle and versatility. And even with his forthcoming, the team underperformed, no questions. Things don't look any brighter coming the next season, and they might have to retool if they don't find playoffs next year. When it comes to biggest disappointment, the easy choice here is their goaltender, Jacob Markström, who was signed to a big-ticket contract last offseason. This season was his worst statistically in the past five years and it was concerning to see his numbers dropping since he's been very consistent in the blue paint. He suffered a concussion this year which probably affected his numbers big time but he was able to end the season with good marks but unfortunately it wasn't enough for the Flames. He needs to step up his game just like many others on this team next year since they could be on the brink of retooling if they don't find success next year. And then we move to Carolina, who's had an atrocious offseason this summer. When it comes to picking out their surprises and disappointments, I'd say it is pretty straightforward. Alex Nedelkovic biggest surprise and Jake Gardiner as the biggest disappointment for the bunch of jerks. Nedeljkovic took the crease by surprise when Peter Mrazik got injured during this season and eventually ran with the increased role. He posted 0.932 save percentage and 1.90 goals against average during the regular season and pretty much kept this level in the playoffs as well by recording 0.920 save percentage and 2.17 goals against average. They were overwhelmed by the Bolts and I wouldn't blame the goaltending for their shortcoming but seemingly their leadership wasn't on the same wavelength since they just handed Nedeljkovic to Detroit and handed contracts to two veterans instead. We'll see where his ceiling is but with those kinds of numbers you would think that he could become very solid starter in the next few years but we'll see what happens. Martin Hs. Breakthrough wasn't a surprise by any means, but Yanni Hakampa's performances were worth mentioning. And that's why he was signed to Dallas for the next three years. And while we're speaking of defensemen, Jake Gardner's contract is looking worse and worse each year. This season he only suited in 26 games, spent time in their taxi squad, and was seen in their press box quite often while he didn't contribute much for the Canes in those 26 games. He has become somewhat liability defensively, and thus has been a healthy scratch quite often for them. If he can't stay healthy, his power play prowess is quite useless, and this pretty much summarizes my point, why you don't sign defensemen to long-term contracts with relatively high cap heads, the way teams have done this offseason. It could pay a big time dividend in the best case but I think we have enough proof that more often than not they are not very safe deals and in this case it proves that to be true. And then we arrive to Chicago who had up and down season this year which ended in a somewhat disappointment when they missed the playoffs. They had few pleasant surprises on their roster which enabled them to fight for a playoff spot. First and the biggest surprise to many was their Finnish goaltender, Kevin Lankinen. And I might sound biased, but after stellar performance in 2019 World Championships, I truly expected him to make the NHL at some point. And it really happened this year. He came out of the gates with a bang and was one of the best goalies at the start of the season. His level though dropped a bit just like team's performances. And he ended the season with 0.909 save percentage and 3.01 goals against average, which doesn't sound good. But when you take into account the fact that he was their third string goaltender before the season started, it was a surprise to see him make this big of an impact right out of the gates. The other two pleasant surprises for the Hawks were Pew Suter's standout season and Brandon Hagel's breakthrough into the NHL. Shooter notched 27 points in 55 games, which is very respectable when just last season he was playing in NLA and took their second line center spot by surprise. Hegel on the other hand recorded 24 points in 52 games with relatively limited ice time, so I would say it was overall an impactful rookie season for the 6th round draft pick. When it comes to their biggest disappointment, I would say it was Dylan Strong's season quite honestly. Just two years ago, he was traded to Chicago. He recorded 51 points in 58 games and last year he had 38 points in 58 games and was looking like a steal for the Blackhawks. Unfortunately, the production disappeared this season, 17 points in 40 games and minus 16 rating. It's really hard to say what he will end up becoming since the production is there, but this season was really disappointing for him, while many expected him to take the next step on their first line. Next year, if Jonathan Taves finally makes his comeback, he could bounce back alongside him, but if not, it is hard to see him in Chicago for much longer. Another disappointment this year was their assistant captain, veteran defenseman Duncan Keith, who looked out of place at times in the bright lights. 15 points in 54 games and 12-point drop from previous season's output is really concerning, while his skating has declined in the recent years. He will wear Oilers uniform next year, so he won't be their concern anymore, but overall, when taking into account his playing time and age, he wasn't as big disappointment as previously mentioned. Third overall pick Strom, but just had to be mentioned because of clear decline. Colorado, on the other hand, was as good as advertised, and it was hard to find clear-cut picks for both spots, but eventually I ended up picking Jonas Donskoy as the biggest surprise based on the fact that with 82-game season, he would have had his most prolific season in the NHL. 31 points in 51 games is very respectable for a two-way top-nine forward. And Seattle's GM Ron Francis saw the versatility factor in him and picked Donskoy from Colorado in the expansion draft. Similar to Donskoy, forward Andrei Burakovsky was also lights out this season, as he missed his personal point record by one point. 44 points in 53 games, so just like Donskoy, he would have had the most productive season of his career if the season would have been in full length. He could easily reach 50 points next year if he finds a way to stay healthy for the entirety of the season. But the biggest disappointment though was their second line center Nazem Kadri as his production has declined the past two seasons. The biggest thing for him was the suspension received from his head on St. Louis defenseman Justin Falk in their first round matchup and he was suspended for eight games in the playoffs based on his previous suspension history. That wounded the Avs top 6, and now that he has only one year remaining on his contract, they could look to ship him elsewhere. He recorded 32 points in 56 regular season games, but when you play for the best offensive team in the NHL, you could expect your plus-minus column to be positive, but somehow that just didn't happen. He's a very effective top 9 option, but... Still few questions loom around his future in Colorado, as I said, so it will be interesting to see how the things turn out for him next season. Then we have the blue jackets, and overall their season was a disappointment, and there were only few options who surprised me positively last year. It definitely wasn't Pierre-Luc Dubois, so I decided to go with Michael Del Sado since... I believed in Jack Roslovic's breakthrough and finally when he found his new home in Columbus, that thought came to fruition. So you could say that he was a surprise to many, but for me it was more of a matter of time kind of deal. Del Sato, on the other hand arrived in Columbus with little to no expectations and after recording 15 points in 49 games with Anaheim the previous season, I expected his point totals to drop back to below 5 average. I couldn't have been more wrong though since in 50-ish games he tallied 4 goals and added 9 assists to go along. And add to that the fact that he was one of the only few players on this team with positive plus minus column. Which is also quite impressive since most columns were somewhere between minus 29 and minus 3. So in my books it was a successful season on personal level for him and that earned El Sato a 2-year, 2 million contract with the Sens. Another player worth mentioning was Oliver Björkstrand who had himself the most productive season of his career with 44 points in 56 games and he led the Blue Jackets in point production. But because he has improved his point totals each year it wasn't a huge surprise to see him pass the 40-point mark. And when I mentioned the minus 29 plus minus, you probably guessed that this player was going to be amongst the most disappointing ones and you were correct with that assumption. That player was Patrick Laine and I know it was an extraordinary season for him for many reasons. I had to mention him since he has set himself high expectations with the way he has been able to put the puck back in the net. Only 10 goals in 45 games isn't what he, the fans or the coaching staff expects and I fully believe that he will bounce back from this horrific season. The new coaching staff should utilize his talents more effectively and I promise you he will get back to 30 goal pace already next season if he plays alongside players who can find him on the wing. Another player I could throw into this category was David Soward who had a horrible start to his season in Columbus. Just 6 points in 40 games and freezing minus 19. But we all know how that turned out for him, so only honorable mention is in place this time around. The Dallas Stars had few very favorable surprises this season, even though it ended prematurely, to be honest. The two surprises I will mention are not huge surprises by themselves. But the way they reached these levels was the impressive part. First, Jason Robertson with 45 points in 51 games. And even I was surprised by the way this guy was putting the puck in the net, even though I followed his career from his draft year. Last year in the AHL, he had 47 points in 60 games, and it was his rookie season in the American League. This was the time to take notice on him at the latest, but... Even I didn't think that he would reach the 45-point total in his rookie season without number one center Tyler Sagan. We will use that as a segue since Dallas has now a new sheriff in town and his name is rope Hint. In his third year in the league, he really broke out the gates and exploded to 43 points in 41 games alongside previously mentioned Robertson and rejuvenated Joe Pavalski. His key is his skating and when you have good puck moving defensemen like John Klingberg and Miro Heiskanen on your back end you are bound for good scoring chances and when Hintz gets to full speed you are already too late. He had plenty of breakaways and could have come closer to 25 tucks this year. Well at least that leaves something to be expected next year but right now their top 6 is starting to look good. And Tyler Seguin made his comeback at the back end of the season and overall their core is intact. But when it comes to disappointments, there weren't many individual players that I was disappointed with because the team disappointed collectively last year. That led me to go with their goaltender Anton Hudobin who saw his numbers drastically drop from previous years and because he wasn't at this level this year. I saw him as one of the reasons why the Stars didn't make the playoffs. He recorded 0.905 save percentage with 2.54 goals against average and record of 12, 11 and 7, which isn't much to write home about as an NHL starter. If they can solve their goaltending issue with their four goaltenders on the roster, they should be without a doubt a playoff team again next year. From Detroit Red Wings, it was pretty tough to find players that had noticeably underwhelming or positively surprising year last season. There weren't many expectations coming into 2020-2021 season, and the team itself struggled with few major injuries, which made the decision even harder. First, I thought about going with former first-round draft pick Bobby Ryan as the big surprise who missed most of the previous season due to personal reasons, but this year came out of the gates really strong and started the season with four goals in his first three regular season games and ended the year with 14 points in 33 games overall. The point total itself isn't surprising, but if you know his backstory, it makes it that much more impressive. Eventually, though, I decided to go with Adam Ernie, since he was bound for the best offensive season of his career, but came a bit short of that because of injuries and shortened season. He tallied 20 points in 45 games and stepped up to their top 6 when injuries rattled the Red Wings roster, but expect him to play regular top 9 minutes next season after successful experiment this year. The biggest disappointment award goes to Dylan Larkin this time around since their number one center only recorded 23 points in 44 games and unfortunately that just doesn't cut it. Tyler Bertuzzi's absence for most of the season probably hindered his point totals and Anthony Mantha's level of play fluctuated as one would expect already at this point but still the point total was disappointing when you look at these previous seasons. Hopefully he bounces back since they have few very bright prospects coming into the NHL and he needs to be the guy leading the team up front. I also have to mention Philip Sadina at this point since the concern is there for his future in Detroit. In his first full season in the NHL he recorded just 19 points in 49 games when a year prior his point total was 15 points in just 28 games. The number 6 draft pick has to find his scoring touch, and even though he hasn't been absolutely atrocious, the time is ticking for the Czech native in Detroit. The Edmonton Oilers disappointed once again last season, even though their main guns Leon Trisaddle and Connor McDavid had astonishing outputs. They got swept in the first round by the Jets, and this offseason they have made moves to take them to the next level. Last season, most of their players played up to their standards and some of them even exceeded expectations. Looking at you, Mike Smith. But few stood out as disappointments in their lineup. First big one was their goaltender Mikko Koskinen, who came to the season as their starter, but ended up opening the bench door at the end of it. His .899 save percentage was way too low. And 3.17 goals against average is nowhere near starter caliber numbers. Mike Smith fortunately stole the show for the Oilers and earned somewhat questionable two-year extension in the process. Koskinen has only one year remaining in his 4.5 million contract. So if he doesn't bounce back, leadership group could look to move him during the next season since they have Stuart Skinner on the brink of NHL backup job. Another disappointment when comparing to his contract was Zach Cassian, and his contract is another woeful example of their poor management. After a 34-point career year, he plummeted to just five points and was sidelined for most of the regular season. I don't know what they were thinking last summer when they signed him to a four-year extension, but I guess the role of McDavid's protector doesn't come cheap. I don't know what they are trying to build there in oil country, but for sure doesn't look like a sustained success story for me. That's for sure. Florida, on the other hand, was really easy pickings since there were many pleasant surprises and only one notable disappointment last season. And I will get that out of the way since you probably already know who it was. Sergei Bobrovsky and his $10 million contract. Without a question. The last two seasons he has posted subpar 0.900 save percentage. While his goals against average has been around 3 as well. Those are not good enough numbers and he was woeful in their postseason run as well. Now that Chris Dreger is out of Florida pressure bills for their young net Spencer Knight. Who will replace Bob as their starter in the near future. This year was at the same time blessing as well as curse for the Panthers, since they noticed that they had a starting caliber goaltender on their roster, and previous summer signed Bobrowski to a huge deal. Well, they ended up losing him in the expansion draft, but another one is on his way, and like I said, Spencer Knight will be a stud in NHL. The bad thing here is that Bobrowski earns ten million for the next five years. And they currently are right at the gap ceiling while Alexander Barkov is bound for a huge pay raise next off-season, Another notable disappointment was Brett Connolly, but since he was shipped off to Chicago, I decided to nominate Bob Rowski based on his huge contract. But like I said, when it comes to surprises, there were plenty to choose from. Mackenzie Weger broke out as a stud top four defenseman in the absence of Aaron Ekblad, Sam Bennett found a new level to his game after arriving to Sunshine State, and Grigory Denisenko looked brilliant in his short send in the show. But no one surprised all of us more than Carter Verhege, who put up 36 points in 43 games and really made an impact in Panthers roster. He's had stellar seasons in the AHL, and after all, he's an end product of well-known Tampa Bay Lightning minor league system. But still, to go from 13 points in the year prior to 36 and playing top minutes is massive. He really clicked alongside Barkov, and now with the addition of Sam Reinhardt, the Panthers are looking even more dangerous and probably have the best chance of reaching the last round of the playoffs. Since 1996 when they lost to Avs in the cup final. But then we moved to LA where the Kings had an uneventful season and there were only few players that could fit the bill of disappointment. First name that came to my mind was Jonathan Quick but we probably all know that he is running out of gas when it comes to his game and Cal Peterson has taken their crease for good. His .898 save percentage and 2.86 goals against average reflect that, and his game has been slowly declining since 2017-2018 season. Alex Ajafalo also wasn't on his best last season, but 30 points in 55 games isn't as bad, so I decided to go with another player instead, and that player was their defenseman Olli Maatta, who had probably the worst season of his career last year. Only 4 points in 41 games and minus 8 on his plus-minus column. It's very heartwarming and when you take a look at his previous outputs, you can see the big drop from previous seasons. He has one year remaining on his contract, so he will most likely find a new team next offseason at the latest. But he has to raise his level if the Kings want to be competitive next year. On the flip side, it was good to see Drew Doughty's point totals bounce back from previous seasons and Gabe Villardi stepped up to their top 9 without any problem. But the biggest surprise for me was Trevor Moore and his production since he has been a filler to NHL squads for most of his professional career. But this year, he blossomed to 23 points in 56 games as an NHL regular. His previous best was 8 points in 25 games, and he looked extremely solid in the World Championships as well, which probably delights the Kings organization going forward. He could be a very effective bottom 6 option for them if their young guns take the spots higher up in their lineup, and could provide good offensive and defensive numbers for them if he keeps his level. When it comes to Minnesota Wild, it was much easier task to pick players for both categories. Jack Parisi's output dropped from previous seasons, and he was close to being nominated as their biggest disappointment. But I decided to go with Marcus Johansson, who was acquired from Buffalo in exchange for Eric Stoll. Stoll ended his season with Montreal and was an impactful piece in their lineup. While Johansson's season was riddled with injuries, and his offensive production was far from his best in mini. He recorded just 14 points in 36 games and was added to their lineup to bring depth to their center spot, but at the end of the day, he found himself at their bottom six and on the left wing. This was a fat L for the Wild when it comes to their business side of things, and after such a woeful season, he was headed to find a new lift to his career in Seattle where he signed a one-year ticket. Their season, though, was overall a positive one, and we could see many pleasant surprises on their lineup. Carson Soucy's breakthrough into their top four was noticeable. Nico Sturm found his place on their bottom six, and Victor Rask's 23 points lighted up their future expectations, but none other than Joel Eriksson egg was more surprising from the wild last season. He was on fire at the start of the season and was their third best goal scorer in their lineup. He ended the season with 19 goals and 11 assists in 56 games and finally found his offensive production that the Wild have been waiting for. He probably won't become their star number one center. That place is reserved for Marco Rossi. But with his defensive metrics, he could be an excellent number two center for them for many, many years. He broke his previous point record by one point, and you have to keep in mind that this season was shortened once, so he was on pace for about 40 points or so. The Wild have been desperate to find their future centers, and after last year, they seem to have their start centers in place for their future. And next we have Montreal Canadiens, and you can call me biased, but to be completely honest. It was a hard task to find one big disappointment on the roster after such a surprisingly successful season. But if I need to pick one, it comes down to Tomas Tatar and Philip Danault, and I'll explain in a minute. I was also thinking about nominating Carey Price, but... Well, you saw him in the playoffs, so you can just forget that. But the main point of nominating Tatar wasn't his production. 30 points in 50 games is very respectable, but more so his consistency and the way he didn't carry the load that he was trusted with. He wasn't awful by any means of the imagination, but when the team standards are raised to a level where no one has the leeway to miss shifts, you get the short end of the stick pretty fast if you do so. This happened at the back end of the season and he was a healthy scratch for the entirety of the playoffs. Now he's on the Devils and left a bittersweet taste to my mouth from his time in Montreal. At the end of the day, now that I think about it, it wasn't as close call as I first thought since. The only thing I was disappointed in when it came to Dano was his offensive production. He was for most of the season their number one center. But 24 points in 53 games just doesn't cut it. You might argue that, yeah, he's more defensive, but Billy, he had 47 points in 71 games the year prior and 53 in 81 in 1819 season. So you can stick that argument up your hoop. He's without a doubt one of the best defensive centers in the league hands down, but that point total is low, no cap. It was frustrating to see him leave Montreal, but it is what it is, so best of luck on your journey. You got what you wanted. Likewise, when it comes to huge surprises, there weren't plenty, and I guess that was their strength last season. Most of their players went a bit above expectations and dragged their whole team's performance upwards. But if I had to choose one, it would be veteran Corey Perry. Without a doubt. He was signed to a 750k deal right before the beginning of the season. And what did he do? Well, first of all, 21 points in 49 games with limited ice time. And in the playoffs, 10 points in 22 games. Not bad at all. He was terrific signing by GM Mark Bergevin. And I would say many of us couldn't have asked for more from a 35-year-old middle six forward. I mean, he was terrific, and once they lost to Tampa in the finals, he said that's enough, two times in a row, I'm out of here, and ended up signing with the Bolts. Big surprise in my books at least, and Jake Allen's comeback was also pleasant, so kudos to him as well. Oh, and before I forget, Cole Caulfield didn't surprise anyone by his performance, so stick that right next to the Dano argument. He's a beast. When it comes to Nashville Predators, we have two very viable options to choose from. And this time, I'm going to let you pick the more disappointing one. First name, Ryan Johansen 8 million for the next four years and 22 points in 48 games. Second name, Matt Duchesne, 8 million for the next five years and 13 points in 34 games. There's some center depth for you. I mean, even Ryan Ellis, who played one more game than Duchesne, had five more points than him, and yep, he's a defenseman. And if my math is correct, Ellis missed Johansen's point marked by four points and had 13 games less than him. That is rough. Well, at least Johansen had four points in six playoff games, while Duchesne only racked up three in the same amount of games. So go ahead, pick your poison, because there ain't no wrong answers here. On the hindsight, they had few promising surprises last season, and the first one was Eli Tolvanen's emergence as an NHL-caliber goal scorer. Some already lost hope for him, but he came out with 11 tucks and 11 apples in 40 games, and looked respectable in their top 6 and first power play unit. While his game is still raw, it was great to see him make an impact on the roster since the start to his NHL career wasn't the previous one to say the least. Hopefully he can add even more to his numbers next season, but the way their lineup is shaping up, he could stand alone with Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi when it comes to their 5-on-5 game. But the biggest surprise was the huge leap Juuse Saros took this year. I mean, I was expecting him to take the throne from Pekkarinne, but the way he carried the team at times was just impressive, and he was probably the main reason why they made the playoffs last year. save percentage and 2.28 goals against average is very respectable, and he didn't falter in the playoffs either recording 9.21 save percentage and 2.78 goals against average. His team just couldn't pull through and I feel for him since the roster turned upside down this offseason and it isn't looking very promising for the Preds, unfortunately. Phil Tomasino, Cody Glass and David Ferrance are players to look out for in the future but other than that, they are pretty thin when it comes to top prospects. Hopefully, Saros keeps his level and keeps the team on somewhat respectable level, even though I highly doubt it. God give strength to use Saros. Then next up we have New Jersey. Their season overall was a disappointment, but they made some strides towards next level during the off season. When it comes to their major disappointments. There was only one glaring disappointment in the roster, since I don't even count P.K. Subban into this category anymore. That player was Andreas Jonsson, who was able to put up just 11 points in 50 games. His point totals have decreased by half each year after his stellar 2018-2019 season with the Leafs, and it doesn't look good for the Swedish winger since the Devils have upcoming talent in the brink of breaking into the NHL, so it could become a change of scenery for Janssen already next year. I wasn't expecting huge numbers from him, but 11 points in 50 games is just woeful, especially when you look at his 3.4 million cap hit, which runs until 2023. I also looked at Nikohi share season as a disappointment, but decided to cut him some slack since he missed most of the season because of a leg injury sustained during the offseason. 11 points in 21 games isn't what we expect from him, and I expect quick turnaround once the season starts for the Devils. But when it comes to surprises, there were only two players that really stood out last year, Yegor Sarangovic and Janne Kuokkanen. Sarangovich ended the season with 30 points in 54 games and Kuokkanen tallied 8 goals and 17 assists in 50 games with the Devils. These two really took a huge step in their development and both are expected to contribute on their top 9 next season once again. The Devils are starting to build a really strong core and the additions they've made this summer with few prospects fighting for a spot in the NHL. It seems as they should compete for a playoff spot in the Metropolitan Division next year. But we'll see what happens because it's the Devils after all. Much like the Canadians, the Islanders didn't have any big surprises or disappointments on their roster last season, and they came very close to finding their way to the Cup Finals. Their lineup reached the expectations, and for the first time in this recap, I decided to not nominate any players for either category. Believe it or not. I mean you could throw in someone like Oliver Wallstrom as a surprise but bro he was an early first round pick so it would have been a surprise to me if he didn't finally find his foothold in the NHL and I expect even more from him coming the next season. Their defense was solid as you would expect and there weren't any major point increases anywhere on their lineup. If only someone pointed gun to my head and demanded that I named one player as a disappointment, then I would say Travis Zajak, but at the end of the day, he's 36 years old and was acquired to bring depth to their center position, so I wouldn't blatantly say that he was that disappointing, only just made the checklist. The other New York team, though, wasn't as impressive last season as the Islanders, and were a disappointment by themselves when it comes to their performance. I expect them to take another step to the right direction next year, and most likely their young players need to take a bigger roles on their top lines. While their performance during the regular season was very lackluster, and they missed the playoffs, there weren't many major disappointments on the individual front. Mikasi Banejad bounced back really nicely after a very disappointing start to his season, and Kaapo defensive game took a big leap this year, even though his point production was nowhere near what was expected. I expect him to solidify his spot on their top line and raise his production level already next year, but we'll see how things turn out for him. But the biggest disappointment for me was Brett Howden's season, and even though I know that he played in their bottom six, you would expect more from a former first-round draft pick. His point totals have been decreasing each year after taking his spot in the NHL and this led to a trade to Western Conference. 7 points in 42 games is nowhere close to expectations and hopefully he will find his game in Vegas since their center core isn't the best in the league so he should get chances to redeem himself. Zipanejad and Gakko were the other two nominees but I was most disappointed in Howden's play last year. But when it comes to surprises, there was only one that really stuck out to me, and that was Colin Blackwell, who notched 22 points in 47 regular season games. He really got his chance in New York this year and was dependent on on 5-on-5 as well as penalty kill situations constantly, and he made the best of those opportunities. I was really surprised by his point production since years past he has been a force in the AHL, and even showed glimpses of possible NHL production during 2019-2020 season, but the 27 games he played was still a small sample size to really grasp his possible offensive output. Next year, though, he will start his season in Seattle, and he will most certainly add depth to their already relatively deep lineup. And after two New York teams, we head to Canadian capital, Ottawa, And if you watched them last season, you could guess that there were more disappointments in their lineup than actual positive surprises. So I'm going to give you the positives first. I have to give credit at this point to Nikita Zaitsev, who started the season with a bang and overall had a relatively good season when compared to his expectations. 17 points in 55 games doesn't wow you. But he wasn't as big of a liability defensively as he's been the years past. So honorable mention goes to Zaitsev. Then to the actual positive surprises. And the first one was rookie Shane Pinto, who stepped into their lineup at the end of the season after his college season in North Dakota ended. And he was signed to an entry-level contract. He recorded 7 points in 12 games and looked extremely solid on their lineup and showcased his skating, playmaking ability and dangerous wrist shot. Ottawa overall has been drafting well in recent years thanks to their bad regular seasons, but nevertheless they've been able to grow their prospect pipeline and we are starting to see their young studs breaking into the NHL. There's still plenty who are waiting for their chance to take the next step but for now, their future is starting to look brighter by each year. But the biggest surprise to me was the emergence of Artem Zub as a household name in their defense. He was one of the better two way defensemen in the KHL before arriving to North America, and he really made an impact on their blow line this past season and earned himself a two year extension in the process. He racked up 14 points in 47 games and was one of the more reliable D-men on their lineup each night, which resulted him having one of the two positive plus-minus columns on their whole back end, which should tell you at least something. But because they had such a horrible season last year, it was easier to pick out the disappointing players from past year rather than the good ones which stood out. Yevgeny Dadonov, who is now property of the Golden Knights, had a down year with only 20 points in 55 games. Colin White struggled offensively, only being able to put up 18 points in 45 games with top 6 minutes. But no one really came close to disappointing more than their goaltender Matt Murray, who was just miserable for almost the entire season. 0.893 save percentage and 3.38 goals against average were one of the worst in the league and he still has 3 years remaining on his 6.25 million cap hit. And let me tell you, if those numbers don't get better, he will be their AHL starter next year. Although his performances got better at the end part of the season, he was still extremely disappointing no matter how you look at it. Tough pill to swallow for the Sens as they try to reshape their organization's direction, and you can only hope that he improves, because if not, that's a horrific contract to have on your books. With the season the Flyers had last year, it was hard to find many positive surprises on their ranks, since most of their core played up to par, but none of them really exceeded expectations. Joel Farabee is starting to fill the shoes he was expected, and Oscar Lindblom made his comeback after beating the Cancer, which was the biggest win on their part. If I had to nominate one player as a surprise, I would say that it was Wade Allison who stepped up to their lineup in the middle of the season and was quite impressive in the few showings. He racked up 7 points in 14 games and even played on their first power play unit which tells me that the Flyers organization has expectations for him. He shined in the AHL with almost point-per-game pace and deserved the shot in the bright lights. He will most likely find himself on their top 9 next season and will be a part of their core for years to come, that's for certain. But when it comes to big upsets, it was a battle between two players, Nolan Patrick and Carter Hart who both had awful seasons last year. Patrick is seemingly still battling with post-concussion issues, and that really seems to affect his games, which is extremely unfortunate. 9 points in 52 games isn't what the Flyers expected when they selected him second overall, and the minus 30 stat is really hard to look at. Hopefully he finds second win in Vegas and at least solidifies his spot in their top 9 at some point. But for now we hope that he finds his confidence and is able to fight off the injury problems he's been fighting with. But I would say that no other prospect took a bigger nosedive than Carter Hart did last year. And he seemingly really hit the sophomore slump this past season. .877 save percentage and 3.67 goals against average was lowest amongst the starters and eventually Brian Elliott took the majority of the starts for the Flyers last season. It was a major disappointment to the organization and hard for himself for sure and I have no doubts that he will bounce back from this and become the elite goaltender. He was projected to be just a year ago because the Flyers needed if they want to find success the next few years. Then we have the Pittsburgh Penguins, and their season ended last year in the first round against the Islanders, and the main reason for their short playoff visit was the player we are going to talk about pretty soon. But first I have to mention the other options for that title, since there was really only one other option, and it was Jason Zucker, who had a down year from point production standpoint, and finished the season with 18 points in 39 games. He suffered from injuries throughout the season, which probably played a part in decline of his production, but he was nowhere close as disappointing as their goaltender Tristan Jerry, who completely melted in the playoffs, and was probably the main reason why they lost to the Islanders. He already had a pretty bad regular season with 0.909 save percentage and 2.75 goals against average, But in the playoffs, his numbers declined even more. 0.888 save percentage and 3.18 goals against average. That's bad, and to add Cherry on top, he even assisted the game-winning goal for the Islanders in Game 5. The Penguins have a puzzle to solve this offseason since, even though the Smith has been the better one of these two, based on statistics, they still believe that Jari will elevate his game and return to form he was the year prior. To me that's hard to believe since his numbers have been subpar his whole career and the only remarkable year was the 2019-2020 season when he posted over 0.920 save percentage, but that's it. They just re-signed him to a 3.5 million deal so. Really, it's a head-scratcher to make the decision on how to roll with two good but not great goaltenders. We'll see what Berkey and Hextall have up their sleeves coming the next season. But when it comes to pleasant surprises, there were few to choose from. Teddy Bluger really broke into their top nine last season. And his biggest asset is his versatility, without a doubt. 22 points in 46 games is very respectable especially when the player is mostly depended on odd man situations and he was able to reach those numbers in 26 less games than a year prior. That's very promising and now they have depth on their center spot behind Crosby and Malkin. In addition to Bluger, defenseman Mike Matheson also had a very strong season on their back end and finished the season with 16 points in 44 games. He was very reliable on their own zone and bounced back very well from his two bad previous seasons with the Panthers. But no one surprised me more than his deep partner Cody Cece, who didn't really look like himself last year. And trust me, I mean that positively. He racked up 17 points in 53 games and ended the season with plus 18 on his plus minus column. Now I believe in magic. He wasn't a liability on his own end and was able to move puck up the ice with consistency. So I can't say anything else than kudos to him because this was a statement season. Their decor was questionable coming into last year. But Matheson and SCC really raised their levels which enabled the Pens to reach the playoffs. Now they just have to keep that level which isn't always the easiest thing to do. Note Goaltending also plays part in defense. San Jose Sharks, much like few others, had a disappointing 2020 2021 season, and overall, there were more disappointments than cheerful surprises. There were only a handful of players who were on their level last year, and it really showed in the standings. Burns had a down year, Carlson is at this point more of a forward than actual demon. Dylan Gambril can't find his place in the NHL. Their goaltending couldn't stop a snail going uphill. And all respect to Patrick Marlowe and Mark Edward Vlasic, but both of them are starting to wear down, and I don't know how much more, for example, Marlowe has to offer for this league anymore. I respect the heck out of the guy, but... Already last season showed that it could be more beneficial for the organization to let the young bucks take those learning steps because 9 points in 54 games won't give you much more than experience in the locker room. So overall I would say that collectively they were just awful last year and it's hard to pick out one player that really let me down. Since for example Carlson hasn't been the Norris level defenseman he used to be in years And we don't even expect that out of him anymore. Also Timo Meijer just couldn't score this season which dropped his points total a lot. So this time I'ma let it slip and not name anyone as a disappointment from the Sharks. But I'll just say that it isn't looking bright for them. That's for damn sure. At the same time it was quite tricky to find the players who succeeded in this sinking ship. But I'll name a few players that had positive impact on their team last year. First, I have to mention Rudolf Palsers, who has been up and down his whole career, but this season he solidified his spot in the NHL and was one of the more dangerous players on the Sharks roster in the offensive zone. He put up 17 points in 41 games, which isn't breathtaking, but I would say that his overall effort just didn't come to fruition this past season. Like I said, he was one of the more dangerous sharks in the O-zone, and his speed paired up with good set of mitts and dangerous wrist shot could end up becoming a real weapon already next year. So all I have to say is keep an eye out for this guy, because if Evander Kane is out of the organization by the start of the year, this guy is your go-to on their first-line win. But the biggest surprise, if I can really say so, was the impact that Alexander Barabanov had with the Sharks when he was traded to them from the Leafs. I know I've been pumping this guy's tires the whole time, but I just see the offensive potential in him. But that's just my guess. He could blossom, don't get me wrong. He has really competent players all around him, such as Thomas Hurdle, Logan Kocher, Kevin Labong and Timo Meyer. So if all goes well we could see a really strong season from him next year if it really pans out so moderate expectations but don't act surprised if he puts up big numbers next year I might add a big chunk for myself if he crumbles but that's the way it goes send me a dm next season saying suck on that loser if he really stinks but if not just keep it to yourself thank you The Seattle Kraken had a disappointing season last year, since they were not in the NHL yet. End of story. Up to next one. The St. Louis Blues got embarrassed in the playoffs, and that was their biggest disappointment last season. Most of their core members played up to expectations, or at least close to it. They also didn't have huge surprises on their roster, so this time I'm going to leave that part out and focus more on players that didn't find their groove last year. And first up is Colton Pareko, who was hit by injuries last year, which had an effect on his game without a doubt. He had a down year, however you look at it, and while he didn't have a terrible season, they would have wanted more from him, especially when Alex Pietrangelo was missing from their first pairing. You can expect better year from him next season, while well, we arrived to the second nomination, and that was Robert Thomas, who had a 42-point season in 1819, but was only able to put up 12 points this year in 33 games. Last year he played 66 games in Blues uniform, so you can see a clear drop in his production from last year. He picked up the pace in the playoffs by notching 3 points in 4 postseason games, But unfortunately, that wasn't enough for them to advance. But the biggest disappointment last year was Jaden Schwartz, And I don't mean to beat him anymore. I know the circumstances. And I fully believe that he will have a much better year in Seattle next year. No question. It was a hard year for him personally. And he's come out and said, himself that he wasn't feeling great the whole year after his father's passing so hopefully he's now all right and lights the lamp as we've come used to i know that he knows it himself as well but he had a down year and 21 points in 40 games isn't up to his standards but as i said comeback is on there is no better team to make it happen than the expansion team seattle kraken Next up is the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs, Tampa Bay Lightning. And do you really want to throw someone under the bus after such an accomplishment? I wouldn't say so, but I guess I have to solve quick and easy so that we can get to the next one. Disappointment, Curtis McElhinney with 0.875 save percentage and 3.09 goals against average in 12 games. Fortunately, though, you had the best goal turner in the league between your pipes. Just saying. The surprise, Ross Colton. Last year in the minors, 62 games, 42 points. This year, 30 games in the show, 12 points, and scored the game winner against the Canadians in Game 5 to seal the Stanley Cup. Not much more needs to be said, I assume, so let's move on. For Toronto... The disappointment was losing 3-1 series lead in the playoffs and getting eliminated. Yeah, once more for the people in the back. No, but seriously, that was horrific. They had once against the regular season, but faltered in the playoffs as they are accustomed to. They had only two major disappointments on the roster front. In my mind last year. And the first one was their goaltender Freddie Anderson, who was eventually demoted to their backup spot once Jack Campbell took hold of their crease. He had 0.895 save percentage and 2.96 goals against average, which is very low for his standards and now he gets a chance to redeem himself in Carolina next season. Luckily Campbell was as good as he was last season. All the Maple Leafs could have had even worse season than they had last year. But at this point, their success is measured in the playoffs rather than regular season success. But more disappointing player to me was Wayne Simmons, who didn't sign a big-ticket contract in Toronto in the offseason. But I expected more offensive output from him that he was able to produce. He was only able to rack up 9 points in 38 games and he suffered from injuries during the season. But still, that is low point total in my books when you look at other players on the roster. He earned a two-year extension to the Leafs, which wasn't a huge surprise since they need a credit presence to their lineup and I guess they saw a fit with Simmons and extended him with a small pay cut. On the other hand, they had few players that surprised me and many others last year. And the only question which remains for these players is that, can they keep this level next season as well? Since both players that I'm going to announce had a breakthrough season, so we will just see. First we have Justin Hall, the late bloomer drafted in 2010, who racked up 20 points in 55 games in the Leafs jersey and really made his breakthrough to their d core this past season. He was solid in their D-zone, and I was really surprised by his offensive output, even though he had 18 in 68 games the year prior. It seems as they've found the right-handed shutdown guy to their blue line, but as I said, is he able to keep this level next year? It remains to be seen. Same thing goes with their goaltender Jack Campbell, who was hands down one of the best goalies this past year in the NHL, and their numbers prove that. 0.921 save percentage and 2.15 goals against average in regular season, and 0.934 save percentage and 1.81 goals against average in the first round, while the Leafs' decor isn't known for their defensive prowess. He stood on his head at times and was a key piece in their success during the regular season. If the Leafs want to fight for the Stanley Cup, Campbell has to keep this level because at least I don't see their defense being strong enough to challenge for the Cup at this point. But nevertheless, both players hit their stride finally and surprised many fans in the process. When it comes to picking disappointments in Vancouver lineup, it was a walk in the park for the most part. Not many surprises though, so I guess we're gonna go at it first. The honorable mention this time goes to Jack Rathbone, who came into their squad after registering 9 points in 8 AHL games. And don't get fooled, I knew he was going to be good, but the way he already ripped apart the AHL in his short stint, I was really impressed. And that didn't end there. He only played in 8 games in the Bright Lights, which is really a small sample size, but he recorded three points in those eight games and looked extremely solid on their back end. He has a very strong track record from NCAA, so I wasn't surprised by his output, but more so the time he took to do so. I'm expecting great things from him, and probably this was just a start, so the Canucks could have a real gem in their hands for their future. But the main protagonist... For the Canucks was undoubtedly Tyler Mott. And even though he only put up 9 points in 24 games, he was one of the more effective players in their lineup almost each night. He has the skill set to be a regular bottom 6 option, but his size is probably his biggest weakness, although it doesn't always show on the ice. Hopefully he carves out a spot under 4 lines, since I really like his playstyle and drive. And he can be utilized on the penalty kill as well. So it should really happen. But then we get to the disappointments. And to be completely honest, one hand isn't enough to count these. So get pen and paper ready. Starting off with their goaltender Braden Holtby, who had a terrible season in Vancouver. Posting 0.889 save percentage and 3.67 goals against average while he was expected to be a reliable backup to Thatcher Demko, which surely didn't happen. So when you look at his numbers from past two seasons, it is weird how Dallas was willing to sign him to a contract, while they already had three goaltenders. Well, I'm not their GM, so they must know something that I don't, but still it was questionable nevertheless. Jimmy Vc wasn't a huge disappointment since his level has been dropping for a few seasons now and quite honestly he just fills a role on team's fault line at this point so there aren't many expectations for him when it comes to production. Rather I would focus on player that Vancouver bought out this summer for obvious reasons and it was none other than Jake Virtanen Who had a bounce back season last year but just plummeted this year to only 5 points in 38 games. And you can see why they bought out his contract. He is ineffective in the defensive zone and once you can't produce enough offense you are out the door pretty quickly. And exactly that happened this offseason. Then we arrive to their defense and the first to get the stick is the Swedish veteran Alexander Edler who found his new home in Los Angeles. Last year his production fell off a cliff, and as a first-pairing defenseman, 8 points in 52 games. Just doesn't cut it. Plain and simple. His defensive numbers were also out of the ordinary, while he wasn't a total liability on their own end, but nowhere near expectations. He signed a one-year deal with the Kings, and they can just hope that this past season wasn't the beginning of the end, cause At the end of the day, the guy is 35 years old. And while we're talking about defense, I have to give a shout out to Quinn Hughes, because while he notched 41 points in 56 games, he just has to improve his defensive game without question. Minus 24 plus minus column, and even though you are offensive defenseman whose responsibility is to carry the puck up the ice, you still can't be reliability on your own end. This fact currently differentiates Kale Makar from Hughes, and at this point Makar is way ahead of Hughes, but we'll see if he improves that aspect of his game this offseason. But then we move to the biggest disappointment from the Canucks, and it was Nate Schmidt. Vegas signed him to a hefty contract a year prior, and he met his expectations there, But last season in Vancouver, he was nowhere near his usual self. Just 15 points in 54 games. And mind you, in Vegas the previous season, he had 31 points in just 5 more games. So you can just compare those two numbers. And if you want even more data, in 2018-2019 season, he played 61 games and tallied 30 points with plus 22 rating. So... The consistency is gone at this point. Like I said, he was nowhere near his usual level and probably their team's weak performance also reflected that. He wasn't effective on either side of the puck and the Jets can only hope that he finds his game again because they have those 5.95 on their hands for the next four years. I believe that he bounces back now that he's in front of one of the best goalies in the league. And overall, their defense is much more solid than it was in Vancouver this past season. For Vegas Golden Knights, their biggest disappointment was losing to the Canadiens in the conference finals on a team level. Most of their core players disappeared when they were needed the most. So you could say collectively that their top players were disappointing in the crunch time. They had a strong regular season and no one really stood out as a huge disappointment individually. Alex Pietrangelo had a small dip in his production, same as Riley Smith, but I wouldn't call those disappointments since they were strong on both ends of the ice. You could argue that with Pietrangelo's cap hit you should expect more offensive output, but since he missed a chunk of games because of an injury, I'll let it slide and not nominate anyone for this position. But rather, I would pump Nicolas Wa's tires at this point, since he was one of their most productive players in the playoffs, and usually you don't expect that out of a bottom six forward and a former fourth round draft pick. He had 15 points in 50 regular season games and added another 9 in 19 playoff bouts. He has now established himself as a reliable two-way presence in their bottom six and will most likely find himself staying in the NHL for good now. The Capitals had overall good season last year, when you look at how many of their core players battled with injuries during the past year. There was only one glaring disappointment on their roster and it was their centerman Yevgeny Kuznetsov, who racked up only 29 points in 41 games. And when you compare it to almost point per game pace, we are accustomed to, it's a low total. Injuries played a big role here, as I said, and he couldn't register any points in three playoff games either. So pretty quickly, the rumors spread out that the Caps were looking at possible returns for him, if they decided to trade him. I still won't close out the possibility of that happening, but... I would guess that they would have already pulled the trigger on him. If they were really trying to ship him elsewhere. Their goaltending wasn't bulletproof either. Both of their netminders posting just a tad bit over 0.900 save percentage. And over 2.5 goals against. But I didn't see it as a big of a disappointment as Kuznetsov's last year. And when it comes to surprises... There was only one that actually stuck out, and it was Daniel Sprong's emergence as a solid top 9 option. We've been waiting for his breakthrough, and finally he was able to put up decent numbers in the show by notching 20 points in 42 games, and he was used as a replacement for their top dogs on the right wing during the injuries. He looked pretty dangerous at times, and he certainly has the skill set to play top 9 minutes, but the production has been the question mark so far. That problem seems to be solved now so you should expect him to take a bigger role in the upcoming season as well. Then we arrive to the final team of this recap and it's surprise surprise the Winnipeg Jets. And if you say that getting swept by the Canadians isn't the biggest disappointment I don't know what to tell you. I'll keep this short and sweet since there weren't many options to choose from, which I guess is a good thing at this point of the episode. The biggest disappointment was without questions Pierre-Luc Dubois, and if you remember his counterpart Patrick Leine was the nominee for the Blue Jackets as well, so the trade seemed to be more beneficial for the Jackets because of Jack Roslovich. Dubois recorded 20 points in 41 games and added three assists in seven playoff games. Those are low numbers, and when they got him, they expected to receive a productive top-six center from the deal. But currently, it doesn't look that way. He has all the tools to reach good point totals, but question remains if he fits to their play style and he can find chemistry with their other core members. Their biggest surprise, though. Surprised even me with his last year's output, and that player was Andrew Kopp. He's been very reliable third-line option for the Jets for years now, but last year he erased his production by leaps and bounces by recording 39 points in 55 games and broke his previous record by 11 points in 27 less games. That's impressive to me. I really like Kopp, and it was important for the Jets to extend him. For the next year as well, we probably won't see those kind of numbers next year, though, since Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers are their top two left wingers. But if Dubois doesn't pan out, Cobb could find his place on their second line center spot. I somehow doubt it, though, since he's one of the best two-way guys on the team and might be more valuable on their third line. But we'll see what their roster looks like at the start of the season. But there you have it, without a doubt the longest episode to this date and hopefully I didn't disappoint you badly because I really wanted to compensate for not uploading last week. I didn't get to dive into football transfer market this week but I'll most certainly address that crazy town on next week's episode. I'll only say that the King is back in Manchester And not wearing the sky blue uniform, so suck on that city. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We are back after a short break, and you can expect regular uploads from this point on, as I've promised. I won't go any longer since the episode is already long enough, so thanks once again for listening. I appreciate each one of you who return each week for my weekly uploads. It means a world to me. Next week, as I said, we will go through the football transfer market. And we'll see what else we gonna talk about since I haven't decided yet. But now I'm done with this episode. So have a nice peaceful week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.